The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome once again in the name of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the second Sunday of Advent, this season where we look back and celebrate the coming of Jesus and we also prepare room in our hearts for his second coming, for Jesus' arrival. We're continuing our focus on the arrival of Jesus, and we're going to do that this morning in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 15a. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be destroyed with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed." Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and destroyed and the elements will melt with fire? But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time of worship. And we ask that you would prepare room in our hearts and you would transform us further and further into the image of your son, Jesus, who has come and is coming. We pray for patience and for peace. And God, I ask you for the gift of preaching. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Unlike a sermon, God has no beginning. Unlike a sermon which also eventually mercifully comes to a close, God has no end. God's relationship to time is not the same as our relationship to time. And yet we hope for and await God's arrival and rescue in time. As we said last week, Advent is the church's alarm clock. It tells us what time it is, and it reminds us to stay awake, to wake up to the arrival of Jesus who is coming to renew all things, to right every wrong, and to wipe every tear. But in the meantime, there are tears, and it is taking some time for him to come. Laura surprised me a couple years ago with tickets on my 32nd birthday 
to the Broadway play To Kill a Mockingbird. And this adaptation of Harper Lee's great American novel was written by Aaron Sorkin. And like Harper Lee's novel, it's a wonderful thing to behold. And we went, and for those of you who haven't made it through high school English, I won't spoil the whole story, uh, but it involves Atticus Finch, of course, who is a lawyer in 1930s Alabama and who defends Tom Robinson, a black man accused wrongfully of a heinous crime. And the play goes on, and there's a moment towards the end of the play where Atticus Finch goes over to the family Bible that is laying open, and he reads from Psalm chapter 30, verse 5. He reads, For his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. The play, like the book, is filled with Moments of poignant triumph and also deep tragedy. And when Atticus reads that book, that verse from Psalm 30, his friend and housekeeper Calpurnia is standing nearby and she has known the hardships of Alabama in the 1930s. She's known the tragedy that they've just lived through in the play. And so when Atticus reads, joy cometh in the morning, Calpurnia responds, morning taken its sweet time. Joy comes in the morning, but it's taken a while. Jesus comes to renew all things, but it's taken a while. It's taking some time, and we long for the dawn of God's eternal day, but we wonder, how long, O Lord? With the psalmist in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long until Jesus arrives? This is the question behind our text in 2 Peter. But it seems that this question is not just being asked by people in good faith who are yearning for the day of the Lord. It also sounds like it's being asked by scoffers who are jeering at the promise of the Lord because Peter sets it up earlier in our chapter. He says, first of all, you must understand this, that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and indulging their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since our ancestors died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Right, these scoffers are saying, where is he? He's not here yet. And everything's basically just the same as it was. Right? It all continues as it did from the beginning. There's not going to be any judgment, so it sounds like they're using this argument for their own selfish interest to live with license. And they say, where is he? He's not here. He's not coming. But this was a question for the early church. In good faith, the church wondered, and we wonder, when will Jesus come? And as you read the New Testament, you see that they seem to expect it tomorrow, maybe end of next week at the latest, right? Any moment, right? It's not that Paul makes any predictions that don't come true, but he believes it could happen at any moment. And it could happen at any moment. 
But this reaction is probably akin to Oscar Coleman. He has a, he has a book called Christ and Time. And he thinks this is probably because it's like a war, right? And in a war, once the decisive battle has been fought, people start looking for the very end of the war. The, the decisive battle, the deciding battle, can happen relatively early, and then the war can just drag on and on and on, right? So Christians know that the decisive battle has happened on the cross and in the resurrection. Jesus has won the victory, but we wait for the end of the war, and we, may, we wait all the more wholeheartedly, right? He says the hope of the final victory is so much the more vivid because of the unshakably firm conviction that the battle that decides the victory has already taken place. Have you ever wondered if Jesus would come back in your lifetime? I bet many of us have. Have you ever wondered why he hasn't? When is he coming? Why hasn't it happened yet? These are the questions Peter is addressing, and this is how Peter responds. In verse 8, But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. He's quoting Psalm 90, so just for the context, Psalm 90 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn us back to dust and say, Turn back, you mortals, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night. God does not relate to time the way that we relate to time. God's life is fullness, perfect, complete in himself. God is the very possibility of space-time existing at all. Right? When we talk about God's relationship to time, we sometimes say that God is outside of time. I think that's that gets at something true, for sure. But I also like Stephen Dubby, who says, he is present in time, but not contained in it. Right? You, we are present in time. I am present in time, but I'm contained by it. Right? On my hypothetical gravestone, it's going to say 1989 dash and whatever year I die. That contains me. That contains my earthly existence in time. God is not contained by years or a hyphen. God does not come into existence because that would require a cause. God is the uncaused cause. He's the unmoved mover. His existence, his essence is to exist. That is just what it is to be God. He's the whole possibility of any of us existing in time. So he's outside of time, he's in it, he's not contained by it, he's with time, and he's with us. God is, he doesn't have a beginning, he is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega, right? When he tells Moses his name in Exodus 3, he says, Yahweh, I am who I am. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when Peter says that God hasn't showed up yet, 
he's saying it's not because Jesus is hitting red lights. Right? Jesus didn't lock his keys in the car. He's not delayed. He doesn't relate to time the way that we do. He doesn't live on our timetables. Right? So Peter says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Peter gives a response worthy of Gandalf. Maybe if you've seen the Lord of the Rings, the first movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, right? Gandalf shows up, he comes to the Shire, and Frodo greets him, and he says, you're late. And Gandalf, under the brim of his hat, says, a wizard is never late, Frodo Baggins. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. God is not late. God is not early, for that matter. He arrives precisely when he means to. And Peter tells us that what feels like delay to us is actually patience. God is patient with you. God is patient. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that love is patient. 1 John says that God is love, and 2 Peter says that God is patient. God is patient with us, and we are not all that patient with God. We are not all that patient, period. In relation to the divine, of course, but maybe even in relation to our ancestors, right? Most of our ancestors were farmers. Farmers know a thing or two about patience. We live in a society, a time and place, where it seems like every toy and technology is designed specifically to alleviate our impatience. Right? We're cruising down I-35 in our horseless carriage, and we can get way further in an hour than some of our ancestors ever ventured beyond the village, and yet... If we're not doing speeds of the Daytona 500, if we slow down just a little bit, it's torture. We get frazzled, frustrated in our air-conditioned climate. We're impatient. We live instant coffee, instant communication, fast-pass fiber optic. So it's hard for us to be patient. But God is patient with us. And Peter says that God is so patient that he wants all to come to repentance. The the essence of God's patience is that he desires that sinners would repent, that he's patient even with a wretch like me. God is patient with all. And he wants us to be patient too. He wants us to be patient with ourselves as sinners and one another as sinners. To be patient is all. And Paul tells us, in fact, to pray for this, right? To pray for everyone in 1 Timothy 2. He says, first of all, then I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life 
in all godliness and dignity. This is right and acceptable before God, our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. On offer for everyone because God is patient. He wants us to be patient. He wants us to pray for everyone. I've got a little notepad up on my desk in my office with people that I'm currently praying for. And maybe about six months ago, I added a little word to the bottom of that notepad. It's just the word all. I've been trying to pray for all to come to repentance. I've been trying to pray for the salvation of all. But then one morning, I, I, I came up short when I got to that word and I thought, do I really want that? Do we really pray for that? Do we really want that without asterisks? The salvation of all, for all to come to repentance. God says it's a product of his patience. And I know that we ought to want to want that. We ought to pray and trust in God's patience and therefore learn his patience with us. But that's a high bar to clear. That's a very high bar, but that's what Peter calls us to. At the end of our text, he calls us to God's time frame, God's patience. He says, but in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. It's hard to be patient. Right? There are a lot of different factors, I think, that make it easier or harder to be patient. For one thing, there's our maturation. Right? There's how mature we are. I'm not positive, but I would guess that most of us at 24, 34, 74 are maybe a little more patient than we were at three or four, I hope. Are we spiritually maturing in our patience, in our ability to wait on God to act, to wait on God's timetable? There's not just our maturation, though. There's also our expectation. Expectation can make it easier or harder to wait. If I get in line at Disney and I've been told it's a 20-minute wait and it's two hours, I'm going to have some problems with that. But if I've been told that it's two hours, okay, well, I came prepared. What do we expect of God? What are our expectations? Are they according to our timelines, our Keurig coffee cup lives, or are they on God's time frame? But there's not just our maturation and our expectation. There's also the valuation. What are we waiting for? Is it worth the wait? If the two-hour wait is the best ride in the park, then yeah, I'm all in. Right? Peter says that we're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. For every tear to be wiped away for eternal bliss, the likes of which our finite minds cannot comprehend. Yeah, it's worth the wait. The major thing is this, church. If we live 
without patience, we live without peace. When we try to live without patience, we wind up living without peace. When I'm impatient with my tools, well, that's when I strip a screw or I smash my thumb. Right? When I'm impatient, that's when I snap at my kids. Right? When I'm impatient with God, I grow weary of waiting. But God has given us what we need to be patient. God has given us graciously everything we need, and we know he's given us that because at the beginning of 2 Peter, he tells us that his divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Thus he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. Participants of the divine nature. Partaking in God's nature. That means that we can start to live according to God's eternal nature even now. When we participate in God's divine nature, that includes his eternal nature. And by his power, he's given us the ability to draw near to his everlasting eternity, to his time frame. God has given us all we need to live with patience. God doesn't live on our time frame. Time as we know it is not time as God knows it. But the other interesting thing is that time as we know it is not exactly what time is. I'm told by people much smarter than myself that modern physics has upended our regular notions of what time is and how it works. Right? Einstein, with his theories 100 years ago that have been proved over and over and over again, have shown us that regular clock tick time is not exactly how time works. Time can be different based on relative factors, right? Time, this is called time dilation in the theory of general relativity. Time is different, for instance, based on gravity, based on gravitational force, right? So I'm told that time actually passes faster in the mountains than it does at sea level. Apparently, you can buy precision timepieces like this on the internet that will actually measure this for you, that time passes faster up higher in Earth's atmosphere than it does closer to the center of Earth's gravity. So the closer you get to the center of a gravitational strength, the slower time passes. All right, maybe you've seen the, the movie Interstellar. They, these astronauts go to a, near a black hole and they have to land on a planet that's right next to the black hole, which is extreme gravity, right? Even light can't escape. And they're, they're told that once they get on this planet, the gravity is so severe that one hour on that planet will be equivalent to seven years of time on Earth. 
It's true in science fiction, but it's also true that time changes the closer we get to the center of a gravitational force, the slower time passes. Church, the closer that we get to God, the more a thousand years feels like a day. The closer we get to God's gravity, the more we live by his patience, the more we live on his time frame, the closer we get to the center of God and his gravitational strength, the more we are able to wait with his patience on his terms and his timetable. And church, the place that we regularly go to have our experience of time upended is right here at the table. At the table, we experience the presence of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Somehow, the body and blood of Jesus is present to us. A Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world, the crucified and risen Messiah, is present to us here, showing us that the regular ways that space-time works don't apply to God, because he is present to us at these tables. The table is where we come closer to the center of God's gravity. It's where we learn to wait with patience and peace. It's where we learn to live and wait for Jesus' arrival on his time frame rather than our finite time frame. We come to these tables this morning and we come separated from people by space-time separated by geography, maybe separated by conflict or separated by people who don't share our confession. But Second Peter tells us we can learn to wait. We can come to these tables and we can wait with the patience of God who has patience and desires all to come to repentance. The God who desires all to respond to him faithfully has given us these tables to draw us closer to the center of his time and patience. Church, let us come to these tables together and learn to wait on the arrival of Jesus in patience and peace. Let us come to the tables.